0: but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft coming to you from Chico Life Radio, KKXX Studios, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is good to be with you another Wednesday evening, reflecting into our current Holy Father, why he's in the news. Uh, we've been reflecting into the document, The Joy of the Gospel, his exhortation on the new evangelization. Uh, so, tonight, we're going to talk about Pope Francis as we do on Wednesdays, and I'll be doing this with uh, Bob Cross. Bob, it is good to have you with me another night. Thank you, Joe. And Bob, as we talk about uh, Pope Francis and why he's in the news and uh, the joy of the gospel, we are also going to talk about Blessed John Paul II, soon to be saint, right, John Paul II. This is exciting. We are a week and a half away from his canonization, Um, a man who means, I know, a lot to the both of us. But to so many people in the united states what an impact he had in his many trips to the united states certainly his biggest impact would have been his trip to denver world youth day in 1993 where if you can remember the scene from the cameras as he was coming down in his helicopter all of the youth in tears hundreds of thousands of people gathered Uh, just not inside the stadium, but outside the stadium, to greet this man. And and what a scene, and as so many people were moved, uh, certainly bringing the spirit of the new evangelization to the United States of America. Beautiful. First, Pope Francis, you know, where was he in the news? Well, as I was going back through this past week, I was looking up uh, different things he had said, different shots of him engaging the people. And there was one uh, that stood out to me, Bob. In fact, I think CNN or some news outlet grabbed uh, a hold of it, where he was taking uh, a number of pictures, selfies, if you will, (laughs) with uh, pilgrims to Rome. And it really struck me. Here you have a man, once again, who is embodying in every way, shape, or form the new evangelization, living out his own words. You know, he, he speaks to the new evangelization within the context of the culture of encounter, and here he is taking these pictures with these people, and, uh, you know, and, and people love him for it. People adore him for it. Uh, and he, he truly is a man for all people. And as he is a man for the universal church, he's drawing all of these people <laughs> from the universal church to him in a most powerful way, in a most powerful way. You know, he is in many ways doing what? blessed John Paul II did. You know, John Paul II took the Vatican City State to the people, Uh, literally speaking. He was the first to take uh, pilgrimages throughout the whole world. I mean, no one traveled like John Paul II traveled. And so, he certainly uh, was a man for the universal church as well. You know, John Paul II is widely regarded, Bob, as the father figure to the new evangelization. He's the father figure to the New Evangelization because he is uh, the first to really speak to this language of the New Evangelization. Now, we have it in a document written in uh, 1975, but it really was John Paul II who gives us the language of the New Evangelization, uh, who who was the first to embody the language of the New Evangelization as he was reaching out to the people. Um, It was in uh, 1983 where he was in Haiti. He was uh, giving an address, and he says the new evangelization is new in ardor, methods, and expression. Ardor, methods, and expression. Now, so what does he mean when he speaks to this threefold principle of the new evangelization? Well, first, ardor is, is to be on fire for God, is to, is, is to have a, a living relationship with Jesus Christ, a, a zeal for God you know, the word enthusiasm, entheos, to bear God within. Uh, this ardor is this gift of the Holy Spirit that has been given to us in Pentecost, and uh, and out from which we are to proclaim the good news. Uh, but it is, to, it is to live in God, that everything we do is actuated in union with the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is what ardor is about. You know, Bob, I think a lot of people can easily understand that, they know when they see someone on fire for God. This is the joy that we've been talking about, the joy that is life-giving. When you're around someone who has that spiritual fruit of joy, there's something that is life-giving about it. And really, joy is the natural outgrowth to this ardor that we're talking about. That is a joy that is genuine, not some happiness and happenstance. No, I mean something that is real, something that is genuine. I think that energy is you know it's well documented and it's all
1: all of us have experienced it when somebody is is really excited about something when they are fired up um, it it's infectious it's it's a sensory um, you know experience that oh man i i want I want to find out what that's all about yeah. i I want to experience that same excitement and energy and i that's it's a great way to think about it in terms of being on fire for God what yes.
0: Yeah, we have within our culture today, Bob, you know, people coming back from maybe a concert or a ball game, or you know, maybe when they went to the amusement park and they come home and they're all excited, they're fired up. There's a certain zeal for whatever it is that they experienced. And when we encounter that, we then, what do we want to do? We want to go to the concert, the game, the amusement park, when that zeal is about Jesus Christ we want some of that zeal. We want to belong to Jesus Christ. We want to know where that zeal comes from. So, uh, John Paul II in 1983, he gives us the second principle of methods. You know, how are you going to employ the various gifts that God has given you in, in how you hand on the faith and how you teach the faith? You know, how are you going to engage the people of God? Certainly, joy is foundational. Because this is relationship with God. And if we don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then we don't have anything to give away. We don't have anything to share, right? So that's foundational. Methods, this might fall in the context of uh, art, drama, music, things, Bob, that are going to engage our imagination, things that are going to stop us in our tracks and have us asking new questions. You know, I've heard it said, well, you know, Joe, I'm a visual learner. I'm a visual learner. You know what's interesting, Bob? We are all (laughs) visual learners. We are all visual learners. Now, some may say, well, I don't know, Joe. I actually, I'm not so visual. Well, let's think about this for a second. The imagination is a faculty of the soul. So there's four faculties, right? We have intellect, will, memory, and imagination. Imagination is a faculty of the soul. We've all been endowed with the soul. So it is in the image that we offer someone. That we begin to what imagine. Look at the word itself: image, imagine. Right? Image is a root word to imagination. <laughs> so, so something's going on there. Uh, so when we maybe in our teaching have a picture of something that is engaging, we begin to, as John Paul II would like to say, it e- evangelize the imagination. We begin to pr- provoke mind and heart to the things of God. We were just talking about John Paul II. Before he was priest, uh, pope, and philosopher, he was poet, writer, and actor. An actor, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, he was someone who uh, understood well, Bob, what it means to engage the people of God, this, this kind of method that provokes mind and heart. Um, Can you imagine what,
1: what John put? you know? Blessed John Paul, too, soon to be a saint, of course, But he would have done <laughs> with social media. Oh, just my as gosh. Just Pope Francis, you know, with his Twitter account and selfies, pictures. The methods are to go out and not just, you know, sit back and write and, and talk about the joy of the gospel, um, but to actually go out and express it. You yes. Know, John Paul, too, with his acting, his writing, and his char- charism that he had. And the same with uh, with Pope Francis as well, following in that same same type of uh, uh, of way of you know engaging people. I think that's the big thing: that they engage individuals, and people love that. People feel it. Yes. They feel that
0: joy. Yeah, it's been well documented what uh, Blessed John Paul II, uh, then Karol Wojtyla, when he was in the seminary, what he was doing uh, in the Polish underground. He was writing these plays. And while <laughs> on the other side of the dirt, <laughs> Hitler was dropping bombs, right, uh, there was Karol Wojtyla uh, reinvigorating the, the people of Poland with, with who they were in drama, you know, what their, what their country is about. And so he, yeah, he well understood what it was all about, for sure. And as far as expression goes, Bob, it's, it's how we say it, but also what we say. It is making what is so incomprehensible, comprehensible. You know, as we're talking about all of this, Bob, it's important to note that uh, Jesus is the, is the model par excellence in what we're talking about right now, right? As far as ardor goes, how often did he say in the Gospels, I and the Father are one, are one. Everything he did was in union with the Holy Spirit, was in union with, with God the Father. His very life was to give away this zeal, this passion. Uh, of course, methods. I mean, you know, Jesus could have taught in the synagogues, but what does he do? He goes out to a plane on top of a a mountain slash hill and he teaches them about the new law and if you've ever seen pictures where jesus actually taught where he gave the sermon on the mount it's a beautiful plain with flowers and the water in the background it's beautiful you can imagine how the people would have been captivated listening to jesus even jesus employs method it's interesting you know methodology is the study of the way well christ is the way you know you can have a lot of fun with that But what did he say? How did he distill, Bob, what was so incomprehensible in human terms? Well, what did he use? What did we already talk about? Images, right? I mean, think about this for a second. These are words that Jesus used while he was here on earth. Net, fire, water, roots, salt, lamps, penny, Seeds, trumpets, light, darkness, fields, soil, grain, thorns, weeds, wheat, shrubs, nests, birds, branches, leaven, dough, pearls, fish, householder. The list goes on, Bob. Why would he use those words? Ah, because he was evangelizing the imagination of the people. He wasn't using these million-dollar words. He was using... The language of the people. He was meeting them, Bob, where they were at, and they responded. <laughs> you know? And what was at the heart of all of this was relationship with God. Certainly, a lot of those words I just spoke to came from the kingdom of heaven parables, but it's to first remember that the kingdom of heaven, the, the kingdom of God is first Christ himself. When we talk about the kingdom of God, yes, we speak to it in the language of you know, the church, but also first and foremost in Christ. Christ is the kingdom of God incarnate. We also have the kingdom of God within us. We have the kingdom of God in Christ reigning in our hearts. Bob, these these words that he uses as he speaks to the kingdom of heaven parables is first about our relationship with God. And I love it. I love it. (laughs) It's beautiful.
1: Yeah, I mean, think about it as you're going through that list of words and and we're talking about art or method and expression. And, you know, it's it's interesting. Every one of those words, you know, evokes, you know, something, you know, in Scripture that um, just like, oh, wow, yeah. Um, and you don't really think about those words as Jesus expressed them in the Gospels. Um, but as we just sit back and we discuss that, it's really interesting to, to think about each one of them individually and, and how they're... So earthy and so human on one level, but at the same time, you know, um, for those of us that have had a time to really—not me so much—but those theologians who understand um, the way that Christ expressed Himself, um, it's it's easy to see the, the beauty in, in all the imagery and yeah. imagination that those words can can lead to.
0: Yeah, I mean, Jesus isn't out there. On, uh, on, on this mountain, on this hill, giving a PowerPoint presentation. Right? He, he doesn't need to do that. Would have he? Bob well, sure, why not? You know, he would have used everything at his disposal. But what he is doing is he's connecting with the listener. He's connecting with the listening audience. I mean, yeah, you probably had farmers out there. Bob, you know, soil, seeds, weeds, wheat. He's connecting with them. Fishermen, net, fish, boats i mean he's connecting with them and this is what it is about and certainly bob in the joy of the gospel this is what pope francis wanted to communicate this is what pope francis really was after in writing his documents certainly he's responding to the initiatives that were given to him but make no mistake about it there's a reason why this man is is pope and one of the reasons is because he's given us a language to the new evangelization. How we are first to understand it, what we're talking about right now, and also how we are to hand it on. So with that, Bob, maybe we can re-engage uh, this document a little bit with the, the rest of our time. Well, in this particular
1: section is, you know, uh, section three from the heart of the gospel what it's titled. And uh, paragraph 34 goes like this. If we attempt to put all things in a missionary key, This will also affect the way we communicate the message. In today's world of instant communication and occasionally biased media coverage, the message we preach runs a greater risk of being distorted or reduced to some of its secondary aspects. In this way, certain issues which are part of the Church's moral teaching are taken out of the context which gives them their meaning. The biggest problem is when the message we preach then seems identified with those secondary aspects, which important as they are, do not in and of themselves convey the heart of Christ's message. We need to be realistic and not assume that our audience understands the full background to what we are saying, or is capable of relating what we say to the very heart of the gospel, which gives it meaning, beauty, and attractiveness. And then the next, next paragraph, um, Pope Francis goes on to say, pastoral ministry in a missionary style is not obsessed with the disjointed transmission of a multitude of doctrines to be insistently imposed. When we adopt a pastoral goal and a missionary style, which would actually reach everyone without exception or exclusion, the message has to concentrate on the essentials, on what is most beautiful, most grand, most appealing, and at the same time most necessary. The message is simplified while losing none of its depth and truth, and thus becomes all the more forceful. And convincing, and then um, a couple of chapters or paragraphs later, he quotes Saint Francis by saying, "Thomas explains that as far as external works are concerned, mercy is the greatest of all the virtues. In it, in it in it itself, mercy is the greatest, or in itself, mercy is the greatest of the virtues, since all the others they revolve around it, and more than this, it makes up for their deficiencies." And is particular to the superior virtue, and as such, it is proper to God to have mercy through which his omnipotence is manifested to the
0: greatest degree. Amen. So what is Pope Francis saying there? You know, Bob, it's really interesting. When this document first came out, there was a lot of fuss about paragraph 34 and 35. That's why I had you read it uh, in its entirety, because what he's saying there is we have to focus in, well, on what Jesus focused in on. You know, this relationship with the Father. If we spend so much time uh, talking about what we need to talk about, issues like abortion, uh, homosexuality, so that there's a clear understanding of what's going on there, they're not going to be understood. They're not going to be heard. Right? So what he's saying is it is in handing on the core message of Jesus Christ. Now, what did he say to us today? If you were the only person in the world, Pope Francis said today, God would have died for you. That's the core message. That's the message of salvation, Bob. Jesus, what does Jesus mean? Yeshua, God saves. God saves us from what? He saves us from our sins. This is the core message, God's mercy. That's what Thomas Aquinas was talking about, this superior virtue. So if we talk about anything other than that first... Then what Pope Francis is saying, not that the topic of abortion isn't important, but that the person's not going to be disposed to hear about abortion. I mean, we have to get into the shoes of the, the person we are talking to, Bob. And who's to say that the person we are talking to has not had an abortion? Or two abortions? Or three abortions? Or four or five? So to talk about abortion, they're going to be closed. They're going to they're gonna- they're shut down. Versus, Bob, huh? versus telling them and sharing with them about the love of Jesus Christ. Do you know what Jesus did for you? Do you know what this man did for you 2,000 years ago? Have that conversation with them before you talk about abortion. This is what he's saying. Now, the fuss was, well, Are we to then not talk about abortion? No. What he is saying in these paragraphs, Bob, is everything has its season. Pope Francis himself has talked about abortion plenty, by the way. He just absolutely condemned it two days ago. But what does he talk about all the time? The love of Jesus Christ. And it's not said in the manner in which it's sentimental, Jesus loves you and carry on with your life. No, he he, when he says it, he wants us to examine the cross. He wants us to examine the crucifix and what that love looks like so that it might have you going deeper in your faith. So yeah, I mean, when it's pro-life Sunday, talk about abortion. But if you're at the pulpit talking about abortion every Sunday, is the person going to hear you? This is what he's saying. And he's saying no. Talk about the love of Jesus Christ. Talk about the, the gospel in its totality. Invite them into a living relationship with Jesus Christ, and then they will hear you. Yeah, isn't it interesting that um, you think
1: about, you know, the gospel is the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, he didn't, he didn't go out and evangelize everybody who believed already, did he? I mean, he was, he That's was right. hanging out with the, you know, the sinners, tax collectors, you know, prostitutes. Um, he was not necessarily hanging out with a great crowd. A lot of people condemned him for that. And the same way, I mean, we, 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 we get with someone and it, 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 if there's um, uh, something that they have a question about, we're too quick to want to maybe argue or draw the, the line in the sand, so to speak. And that's not what Christ did. Christ loved people, showed yeah. compassion and love. He expressed it in everything that he did and said. And that's what Pope Francis is telling us to do.
0: Yep. Amen, Bob. That's it right there. He he uses a phrase, Pope Francis, later in this document. It's my favorite part of the whole document. It's personal accompaniment is the phrase he uses. And what he's talking about there is, um, as friends, we take those by the hand and we lead them to Christ. But it can only happen when we have that relationship. You know, for some of us, we're called to speak on matters of the faith. We are here, Bob, on this radio program, talking about the faith, right? And hopefully we do so in a way that people might be encouraged to have a dialogue with us, that they might want to someday call us friends, because that is what it's about, that ultimately we might journey. And so this is is where Pope Francis is going. I want to speak briefly to... Mercy, Bob, because as we talk about this, you know, the gospel, the good news, what is at the heart of it? Well, St. Thomas Aquinas told us, mercy. Mercy is the superior virtue. That is a strong phrase, superior virtue. Uh, Blessed John Paul II, in his encyclical, Rich in Mercy, says that mercy is the chief attribute of God, love's second name. So what is Mercy. Uh, Well, God is the merciful one. Mercy comes from a Latin, misericordiae, right? So, that word, you can imagine, core is heart in the Latin, and and misery, what does that sound like? Well, misery, right? So, uh, mercy is the movement of the heart that is shaken at the sight of the other's plight and moves to do something going out of itself and toward the other. It is the active love of God that wants to fill every void and darkness in the human heart with life and, Bob, what we've already talked about, joy. Mercy seeks to restore each thing to the image of God originally formed of it. Thus, we can say mercy is redemptive and transformative by nature. Mercy looks at a situation, Bob, and runs to it, Right? If it is absent of love. When we hear the word compassion, what does the word compassion mean? Compassio, to suffer with. To be merciful is to put ourselves in the shoes of another person. What are they going through? We've talked before, you know, Pope Francis, before he was Pope, was known as the Bishop of the Slums in his home diocese. Man, that's strong. The Bishop of the Slums, what was he doing? He was putting himself in the shoes of his people. He was reaching out to them. He was wishing to fill their void and darkness with hope and light. Pope Francis used the phrase missionary key. Let me tell you what he means when he says that. That evangelization has to have a deeper sense than just teaching the faith, than just kind of, sort of, almost reaching out to people in need. It has to be concrete. It has to be real. It has to be this deeper commitment to actually be in the shoes of another, where you might actually experience what they're going through. When evangelization takes up that key, that note, then the fullness of evangelization has been realized This kind of missionary note to evangelization leads people to Jesus Christ. And it does something else. You see, when we are serving the poorest, the poor, the poor minister to us. We realize that it is just not about material poverty, but at the same time, spiritual poverty. If Jesus Christ says to us that when you come to the poor, you come to me. And where else should we go? It is then that indeed we've come to discover that evangelization is more than just a proclamation. But in fact, it is the hand reaching out. When we do that, it opens us up. And then we will be more on fire for God as we are serving God in the poor. Pope Francis is saying, reach out to them, let them know your name, And when they know your name, have a conversation with them. And when you have a conversation with them, open your heart to them. This is mercy, misericordia, heart. It is giving your heart to another. And this has to be the first message. And Bob, that's a wrap. (laughs) We will pick up on this next week. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you. You've been listening to Seeds of Truth,
1: heard every evening from 6.30 to 7 p.m. right here on KKXX. If you have questions or feedback, you may email Joe at jholjmj at yahoo.com. For a copy of today's program, visit joeholcraft.org or call KKXX during regular business hours at 894-7325. Thanks for listening to the Seeds of Truth on KKXX.